Do babies have a natural instinct to sleep? Getting a better understanding of what my partner needed and what my children really needed, that's made a huge difference. Yes, yeah. otherwise I can get a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I think lots of parents can relate to yeah. that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt. Hans Asperger was an Austrian paediatrician born in 1906. He's best known for his work with children with mental disorders, and he used to call his young clients little professors. Asperger syndrome was named after him. Asperger syndrome has been characterised by an inability to socialise, make eye contact, and with obsessive tendencies towards different topics like trains or butterflies or certain um, items. Once it was considered part of the autism spectrum, but it's not anymore. Susan Martin is a senior speech pathologist from one-on-one children's therapy. Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm well, Siobhan. Why isn't Asperger syndrome on the autism spectrum anymore? It is. It's actually been absorbed into okay. the autism spectrum. So... Do people still use it as a diagnosis? No, they don't. So what actually happened was there is a diagnostic manual that the paediatricians and psychiatrists use to diagnose autism called the DSM. In 1983, I think it was the fourth edition, that's when a number of different forms of autism were put into the manual. So you had autism spectrum disorder, autistic disorder, Asperger's a few other ones, this dreadful mouthful of a diagnosis called pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified. Wow. Okay. okay a mouthful. <laughs> That's one thing. So Asperger's came in then. Now Asperger's was given a different diagnostic category because they were children who did not have an intellectual disability and they had normal language development. They just predominantly had the social and repetitive issues. So they were put into a category. And I can remember working with children and seeing children with Asperger's and you could see quite clearly that they were different from many of our other children. So that diagnosis made a lot of sense to me. However, this diagnostic manual was reviewed and the new one was released in 2013. A lot of research went into that and they decided that all the underlying issues, regardless of the severity, were similar. So really, it became part of the autism spectrum disorder. Right. And what have you found as someone working in this area with parents? Because anyone, They're not happy. <laughs> no, because anyone I speak to yeah. seems to... Um, it seems to be clearer when we say this is Mm. what Asperger's is. I think you're right in that perspective. When I first heard it was being absorbed, I wasn't particularly happy and I was a bit concerned. I was concerned that those children wouldn't be identified. And when we used to be able to go into schools or speak to people and say this child has Asperger's, they had a clearer picture of what that child may present like, and they're usually in mainstream classrooms. When you say the child has autism spectrum disorder, it's not as clear. And we often end up saying, in the old days, it would have been the Asperger's diagnosis. But the good thing about it is that these children have still been picked up in diagnosis. They're still being diagnosed as on the autism spectrum disorder. Behind closed doors, we always say it's a bit like the Asperger's diagnosis. But they are still receiving intervention. So that's important. And is it also that the way things are categorised, does that also relate to how families can get funding to help Mm -hmm, support mm -hmm. their child? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So these days it has to be a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. Under the NDIS, really level two and level three get most of your funding. Level one is the very mild. And that's where it does get tricky because children with what would have been Asperger's, especially when they're younger and the social demands aren't as strong, may only get level one diagnosis and they have to fight harder for funding. 
But I think it's unfair to say that level one children who were Aspies, as we call them, don't need a lot of support. They often need a lot of support. Mm, They can be, you know, they they do still need quite high support. They're out there in the community. They're out there socialising a lot, but they do need a lot of support. So that's the tricky part about it is that they're often diagnosed level one and the funding is harder. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Susan Martin. She's a senior speech pathologist from One on One Children's Therapy. And we're talking about why Asperger's is has been absorbed, I guess, mm. into the autism spectrum. I thought it no longer existed. No, it's no, it's still been there. absorbed. It's still it's there. It's been absorbed. Um, I do know a little girl who was diagnosed ah, with Asperger's. Girls and Asperger's. That's a different story. Yeah, well, it was interesting because I know her mum very well mm. and she finds that each year at school she has to Start fight. all over again. Because with yeah. her daughter, I mean, you meet her, you wouldn't, no. you wouldn't pick it. No. But then um, she told me once that um, she had to bring her to school. She, her little girl made her pretend she was a dog mm. um, and put a leash on her and take her to school that way. Mm. And she said she had to tell the teacher that story. Mm. And I can see how draining it is for yeah, her. Yeah. Girls are underdiagnosed. And I think potentially girls who would have been diagnosed under the as- old uh, system of Asperger's, it is is even harder, and it appears that a lot of the diagnosis is based on because more boys have uh, have autism than girls, often a four to one ratio. A lot of the research is based on diagnosing in boys, and diagnosing in girls is different. So they look okay. They look, you know, girls are in there having a go socially. It's when the demands get higher, when they've got a lot more transitions to do across the school, they've got a lot more negotiations in the playground, then you do see a lot more of this, their, their features of autism come out. So how would you notice if you were a parent, would you potentially be looking at your child thinking they have bad anxiety and it, it might relate to... It can look like anxiety because children with autism, especially children that would have been Asperger's, who are in the mainstream world, okay, they like things to be consistent. They like things to be predictable. Change is challenging for them. So when things go sideways for them, they, they show signs of anxiety. They behave in ways where people are, think they have anxiety. So they don't like change. Well, that's not fair to say. They find it difficult sometimes with change. Things, if it's, it's, it has to go their way. So if everything is that going their way and it's predictable, if you're following the routine, you're eating the same food, the schedule that you're meant to be following after school is the same, they can cope with that, but they can't cope with the change. And they don't necessarily have the skills yet to cope with that change. So you can have anxiety, you can have wanting to stick to the same routines, playing in a repetitive way, but often it can be a more highly imaginative way. They might be playing, we have one girl who was playing princesses and unicorns beautifully, but that's all she could play. And she didn't want to change the way she played it. So it can, especially with girls, it can really look like they're doing doing well. But when you delve into it, the breadth isn't there. And with Asperger's, is it, is it a myth that Aspie children and adults are often either extremely intelligent, amazingly creative, like they have these <laughs> crazy That's skills? That's a myth? Okay. That's a myth. They often have splinter skills. So they do have things that they can do particularly well in one area. Whether or not it's useful or functional is another thing. But when we're talking about the rain man, so the percentage of those is actually very, very small. Yeah. Yeah. And how can we support children who are diagnosed with... What would have been Asperger's? Yes, what would have been Asperger's? 
Are you talking about supporting them at school? Are you talking about supporting your friends? What, what are you talking about? What if you've got a child and let's say they're in preschool or, mm. or just started primary school, um, if they're in uh, out-of-home care as well as in-home care, how do you kind of navigate the support they need across both those worlds? Well, when you're talking about out-of-home care, what are you suggesting with that? Daycare or school. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay. I think it's a really good thing if you can find families that are willing to have play dates so that they have that friendship at school and that you can continue it outside of school. That's a great thing to be able to do. And if you're willing to actually reveal the diagnosis to the people at preschool, you would be amazed at who will help you out and who will support you. And we also have children who are friends at daycare, one who is on the autism spectrum, the other one who isn't. And they come in for sessions together, playdate sessions together. So looking for a continuity across that in peers socialising in peers and also families that will invite them to birthday parties and that they can actually be exposed and included in that. Inclusion is what you want, social inclusion. Yeah, very important. Thanks for coming in, Susan. My pleasure. That was Susan Marden. She is a senior speech pathologist from One on One Children's Therapy. And to find out more about Susan and the work she does, just head to our website. That's kindling.com.au. You've been listening to Kindling Conversation. If you enjoyed it, there's plenty more where that came from. Find other stories and interviews at our website. Just head to kindling.com.au.